Welcome back to Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. I'm personal financial planner, columnist, and financial therapist, Rick Kaler. Research tells us that 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally, not logically. For nearly four decades, I've been helping people make better money decisions. So what makes my financial worldview different from most financial experts? I blend the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Good money decisions are not just about the money. So let's get started with today's episode. Welcome back to another edition. I want to talk today about something that I've, I certainly haven't done a podcast on. I don't even think I've written a column on this. So uh, let's get into it. What I've noticed is that among people that have accumulated enough of a nest egg to pass on, and it's not about the dollar amount here. It's about the passing on. My experience is that there's just not a lot of thought given to whom a person will bequest the money. It's generally a foregone conclusion that any money I have, any inheritance that I want to pass on, will go to my children or my grandchildren. There seems to be like a societal money script around leaving an estate in the U.S. that says good parents leave all their money to their kids and that the more money I can leave to my kids, the better off they'll be. So it's not surprising that there's usually no thought or discussion on how to pass on an inheritance in a manner that doesn't harm the kids because the thought is, well, giving money is good. And even more rare, if ever, is there any discussion on leaving money philanthropically or to organizations or charities. It stands to reason with the expectation that any inheritance be left to kids that very few wills that I have ever seen contain any philanthropic intention. And I found some research on this that was pretty interesting. It was done by Professor Russell James. He's an attorney and also a CFP that taught it, at least he still may teach at Texas Tech University. The research came from January 1st, 2014. That's why I say that. And it's called uh, uh, Neuroimaging and Charitable Bequests. And his research found that the number of people over age 50 with a gift to charity included in their wills is between 5 and 6%. Now, <laughs> well, that's reasonably low. If you consider that only one-third, 33% of U.S. adults even have a will, and that's according to Caring.com's 2021 Wills and Estate Planning Survey. If you do the math on that, it means 98 to 99% of all U.S. citizens are not including charitable giving when they pass. So when you um, consider that leaving money to children in a way that doesn't cause them harm, 
is often difficult. This is puzzling. What do you mean? Leaving money to children in a way that does, doesn't cause them harm. Well, according to a New York Times article, thinking about giving money to adult children, think again, that kind of says it all. Legal experts and estate planners caution parents to carefully scrutinize um, need that children have for money and how it could affect their long-term ability to live, work, and, and succeed in the world. Christina Baltz in that article said, you want to support your child, but if your child is just serially not self-sustaining, what do you do? This is a real dilemma. Money is a metaphor for love and control. So, of course, this left me wondering about the psychological and emotional mandates from society, from, you know, the, those parts of ourselves that just believes that's a given. Left me wondering about those mandates, and especially in the light that it might harm them. And why, then, don't people even consider charitable bequests? What's behind the motivations? What are the money scripts about that only focus on giving money to related heirs? Well, according to Professor James, most people don't give gifts or leave money to people or causes that they don't have an emotional connection with. People who are not part of their life story. He found that there are two factors that need to be present for someone to give money. And uh, I think this is probably both um, alive or dead. But the first must be that the beneficiary must share the perspective uh, of the giver. And I interpret perspective to be the goals and values of the giver. That's number one. The second that also must exist is that the giver must have empathy for the beneficiary. If those two criteria don't exist, then there is no gift. I found that fascinating. And when I look at my giving, my intentions, say around either giving while I'm alive or giving when I pass on, I find those really align. So then James tested different marketing messages for their ability to increase a person's willingness to leave a gift to charity with over 4,000 respondents. Those most motivated to include a charity in their wills were those where gifts would continue their life story and impact the world long after their death. So it was visualizing the continuation of their life stories that was important. And this fits with what he calls the visualized autobiography concept. And, and by that, he says, when donors are considering leaving a bequest to charity, the most important question that they tend to ask themselves is, which charity or which cause is part 
of my life story. So it's compelling stories that make it easier for a giver to visualize a gift as part of his or her life story. And this is the psychological motivation playing out when a parent visualizes giving to a child. I mean, a child <laughs> typically has been pretty central to their life story. And typically, children will share similar goals and values. And even being a part of their lineage, right, their legacy, this is something that they, a parent typically wants to see continue. So we see both of these factors are present in the, what I want to say, just the automatic inclination to leave everything to children. The problem, of course there's a problem, right? is that this visualization of leaving a child money because they share the parent's values and the parent feels empathy for them might be more of an extreme belief. Okay? How, how is that possible? What do you mean? Well, there is no questioning on the part of the parent whether giving money is harmful or helpful. It's a foregone conclusion that leaving someone money is positive and helpful. There's no thought that, hmm, maybe the money could be a very negative and hurtful gift. If you think about it, this could be like a person that holds my values as part of my life story for whom I feel great empathy for. It's like giving them a poisonous snake. Now you're probably thinking, good grief, Rick. <laughs> this sounds kind of extreme, kind of ludicrous thinking. I don't think so. We have a money script that Money's good. Giving money is good. And uh, we know that money is not good and it is not bad. It is whatever the person does with it. So let me give you an example of this in a story. It, this whole thing reminded me of a client who I'll call Pam, not a real name, who was really struggling with how to leave money to her children. She was pretty distressed about this. She and her late husband had spent a lifetime as entrepreneurs in a profession that um, they were really passionate about, really felt it was giving back to the world. And it also amounted or resulted in them accumulating a sizable estate of, at the time, about $25 million. And her husband had recently passed away and had left the whole estate to her. Pam and her husband had three children from their marriage. And as she talked, each 
a child shared very different world views from each other. Her oldest child, which I will call Jared, not his real name, um, shared uh, her and her husband's entrepreneurial values. He was calculated risk taker and had uh, started a business and was uh, very successful in that business. Good money manager. Her second child, whom I will call Laura, not her real name, was a college professor. And being a college professor, she shared more progressive views, more progressive values, and viewed capitalism as somewhat of a flawed economic model, something that needed fixing and really embraced more European values of, of more controlled capitalism, high taxes, and a broad safety net. Her third child, Alex, not his real name, was a community organizer. And he held capitalism, socialism, and governments in disdain. He also embraced societal revolution economically. Uh, and adopting something that um, she called, and that, and that I've learned more about since then, called the gift economy. And this is an economy where goods and services are not bought or sold, but they're freely given. It's a fascinating idea, but not, not highly practical, <laughs> at least in today's society. So she was pretty conflicted about leaving her estate to her kids. Uh, she said Jared and Laura were responsible with money. They shared her values around frugality. But that Alex was a spendthrift. She said that money just went through his fingers like water. I asked her how her relationship was with her kids. She says, you know, I get along good with all of them, but with Two of them, I don't talk about uh, politics <laughs> or, or the economy. But as she talked, she was really extremely conflicted around leaving money to Alex. And she said, you know, he, he just uh, despises the economic philosophy of capitalism. And that was the genesis. That was the creative foundation of what my husband and I were able to accumulate. Without that, we wouldn't have accumulated this. And that all of this comes from, from this foundation. And that we really have nothing in common when it comes to economic or political philosophy. We don't share the same values. Remembering back to the research that says that's number one in giving. But she said she was certain that any money that she would leave him would go to fund a um, lifestyle and causes that she didn't support. On the other hand, she says she felt pretty happy to leave money to Jared, who did share her same economic and political values, and um, that she thought anything she left to him would, would support that. And she was lukewarm about leaving Laura money, but she didn't really have any hesitant hesitations 
about leaving an equal amount uh, to her. So she w wondered, you know, in, in asking me if she could leave Alex nothing and leave her estate to Laura and Jared, which at that time was $12.5 million each. She said, I feel a lot of guilt about that, but it just doesn't feel right to give money to someone who basically despises the very economic system from which it comes. Um, well, that's a tough question to answer. I told her that most parents treat their offspring equally, mostly to avoid sibling rivalry about one being treated differently. Like I said, I honestly never ran, had run into a situation like this. I decided to ask her about any charities or organizations that she was involved in, and she immediately lit up and started talking passionately about her and her husband's life's work. And there were several organizations she mentioned in her story, many professional, that they belonged to and were very active in. You could tell she just had a palpable emotional connection with these organizations as she related her stories about everyone and what they meant in her life and, and uh, her involvement in them. So I asked her what I thought was an obvious question. Had she ever considered leaving a bequest, a gift in her will to any of them? It, certainly seemed that they embraced her values and would continue to influence the causes that she was passionate about. I remember she paused at this just shocked look on her face. And she says, no, it really never occurred to me. I asked her, well, how would it feel to you if you did? She thought, she says, you know, actually, it would feel amazing. Now, that's how deep these money scripts go of you will leave money to your kids. It just had never occurred to her. And I frankly, I think this is a lot more common than we would ever think. So we worked together and in the uh, ensuing months looked at a lot of possibilities and things she could do and so she decided to modify her will and she gave several of her IRAs and annuities to an endowment a fund that she established with a local donor advised fund. Um, that <clears throat> the short for that is a DAF. Now I live in Rapid City, South Dakota, and our local DAF is called the Black Hills Community Foundation. And so she set she set that up as her beneficiary, and then she put on file with the DAF her instructions 
as to how she wanted these funds managed. And she decided to leave some outright gifts to some of them. And then she decided to, to set up what's called an endowment fund, where uh, 5% of the fund would be given to support scholarships and various gifts to various projects and things every uh, year. And she was uh, pretty happy with that. And that even makes more sense today because now, since this happened, the SECURE Act passed and 100% of an IRA must be taken out within 10 years, which would cause a taxable event on the part of whoever received it. So these are wonderful things today, both annuities and, and IRAs, to give to a charity because, of course, they won't pay the taxes on them. So the gift is even more magnified, right, by the amount of the taxes. If you gave a million dollars to a kid that's in the 40% tax bracket, let's say they unfortunately don't live in a state like South Dakota with no income tax, <laughs> uh, they could pay 45 to 50% in uh, taxes. Well, on a million dollars, that's four or $500,000. If you give it to charity, you have four or $500,000 more that she gave. Uh, today, she's considering doing some additional gifts of highly appreciated real, real estate and stocks to a trust that would pay her an income during her life. So she wouldn't be waiting till she had died to do this, but uh, she would give those away today and then she would get an income for life in doing this. And then upon her death, they would go to these the, this same DAF that she had uh, set up. So the result of all this is instead of leaving 100% of her estate to her children and to just two children, she decided to leave 12% of her estate to her kids, which is about a million dollars each. Um, she was also concerned, what we I mentioned in the start of this, that Will this money help or hurt? And she decided a million dollars each would probably not be enough to, to really to really hurt them, but enough for them uh, to do something that uh, would, would bring this, them some joy around. So Jared and Laura would get, or upon her death, will get their million dollars each outright. Alex's share, though, was more problematic. She uh, was concerned about him blowing through the money immediately um, and maybe using a lot of that for a cause she didn't support. So she decided to leave that in trust that would pay out 3% a year. And we haven't talked a lot about the podcast about withdrawal rates because it's so such a financial question or issue, retirement planning issue. But uh, 3% a year withdrawal rate should mean that the money lasts for a long time, you know, 30 plus years. So that would be 30000 a year that Alex would get. And she felt that's enough to give him a foundational income. But he can't, he can't get at the, the trust for any more than that. And then upon his death, 
it would go to the donor advised fund. So that is how she addressed this real struggle she had and really brought her uh, estate giving into alignment with her goals and values and yet did it in such a way that it wouldn't be harmful for her children and um, kind of found a happy medium, especially with, the, with Alex that she really struggled with. So I'm still alive. I don't know the end of the story. Uh, she's not 100% happy with her estate plan, but she's way more at peace with it today. So this is just an example of how one person kind of put all of this into being, into play. So I hope that you've enjoyed this. Um, maybe you've gotten a couple insights on yourself or your clients giving the psychology around the giving I just thought was fascinating, which were those two factors. We give to people that share our values, share our perspective, and that we're emotionally connected with. So uh, thanks for listening. I look forward to uh, chatting at you. I wish we had a dialogue next week. And by way of dialogue, if you have any thoughts or comments on any podcast, please reach out to me at rick at rickkaler.com. Take care. Thanks for joining me, Rick Kaler, for another episode of Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. This is where I combine the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Remember, every financial behavior, whether it appears illogical to you or others, makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying beliefs, feelings, and thoughts. Sign up for my weekly blog at financialawakenings.com. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode.